This episode of Uncommon Deeds is brought to you by Barry Tile and Morrison Clark, Central Vermont stop for all types of flooring for your home or business on the South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont, 802-476-0912, celebrating 50 years in business. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service, Vermont's number one dealer for Briggs and Stratton generators. Two locations in Springfield and Brookfield, 802-591-1903 or bushysgenerator.com. We keep your power on. And VT Fire, protect yourself on and off the racetrack with a state-of-the-art fire suppression system serving racers and commercial, industrial, and residential needs in Vermont, New Hampshire, and New York. Call 802-793-7919 or visit VT Fire on Facebook. I'm Justin St. Louis. And I'm Tom Corbett. This is Uncommon Deeds. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode 73. Well, special to us. You may glance at it and decide to move along. I suggest not, but it is possible. Um, It is a little different. We had, you know, a last-minute cancellation, and we didn't want to rush and scramble and try to squeeze in a guest on late notice for a couple different reasons. One, well, Justin doesn't get to do the prep that he likes to do. And let's be honest, Justin does the prep, and I don't. Um, and also, we didn't want to make some of these people that we want to talk to feel like they were an absolute last second, hey, we're in a real bind, we'd yeah. like to talk to you. Which is how Al joined us on our his first episode it is and he's with us again hi al hey gentlemen i use the term loosely That's, that, yeah that was an interesting call like hey uh hmm. you got a minute or an hour or two so guess what that was podcast right now ago. that was a year ago this week no kidding wow that's amazing yeah and awesome and as long as this podcast goes justin and i will always remember who that one person was that Forever. canceled on us after we did the guest, mm-hmm. the guest shadow, and we never revealed who it was. <laughs> and let's be clear that we're not mad at that at that person. Like, I know that we've talked about it yeah. a couple of times. We're not. Uh, we we were never mad at that person, but it really caused some rectal flutter <laughs> for <laughs> for a couple hours. Medical term, but yeah, uh, getting really well versed in the medical terms. I see. Yeah. That's but, good. Anyway, so that comes up, and we're scrambling, and Justin and I had a rare phone conversation, because we rarely actually ever talk on the phone. It's only through Zoom or emojis and memes on Messenger. Yep. And I had sent Justin a message, and I thought I was mean, so I went out of my way to call him to make sure he knew I wasn't trying to be a dick. Uh and we ended up talking. Oh, you're, oh, you're talking about this week. Yeah. Yes. After we realized, right. oh, we suddenly don't have a guest. Uh, but we got to talking, and we came up with the idea that we needed to take a little bit of a break for a few different reasons. One is because we want to get some stuff in line. We have a lot of guests kind of lined up in the queue. We want to try to get ahead a little bit. Two, we wanted to go through the podcast with each other and just kind of think of some new ideas to freshen it up so we're not asking the same questions and having the same conversations every single week where it starts to sound robotic. And I had felt like I was kind of going that direction in the last few episodes. 
Well, I've sprung some guests on you that you really don't have any knowledge of. So it's safety net's not the right word, but it, what you, you don't really have anything else to pick from, right? Sure. But, you know, you had done that with me earlier. <laughs> Let's say episodes one through 35, 40, and I'm still excited. And I wasn't quite as excited when they were sprung on me recently. Yeah. And Justin and I have been kind of scrambling in recent weeks to make sure we had our guests to try to figure out a new t-shirt design to talking about other projects that we want to do. So we're like, man, I think we just need to step back for a few weeks. And I feel like we talked about this before we hit record that it's going to end up, we're going to put in more work probably in this next two, two and a half weeks than we would normally do if we just kept it pushing, kept it moving. But I think you're going to appreciate it at the end. I mean, 72, let's call it 72. I won't count this week's 72 straight weeks with at least one guest, never missing a week for a show that has to have a guest every week as we've currently done it is fairly impressive. Not to, not to toot my own horn. The, yeah, I was going to say, you you have the streak of 72. I don't. <laughs> I missed one. You did. Yeah. But you were in the spots, technically, I believe. That's true. My voice was heard. Yeah. So the streak continues. Well, it doesn't continue. It actually ends after this episode, which we had a little sad moment. We're like, oh, because we're very competitive people, mainly, mainly me. Um, and you get that way when you're bred through championship atmospheres, like at Hazen Union, you know, you breed champions, you get championship attitudes, you get championship. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. I'll just vomit it on his keyboard. <sighs> so there was a, a little bit of a sadness there that the streak is over, but we're actually pretty excited. I think about, you know, kind of retooling a little bit. So in last week's show, I mentioned that we have, and Tom, I guess, just mentioned again, that we have some amazing guests lined up in the queue, but we can't, we can't force their schedules. Um, and part of, you know, part of this break is so that we can get some, or maybe even all of them in the can, so to speak, um, get them recorded, get them edited, get them, get them ready for air. Some of those will require travel, which is hard. And I was actually having a conversation today with Hunter Garduno, who's one of our, our advertisers. And he had an idea about another podcast, which I actually think is a great idea. And I haven't had the chance to talk to either of you about it yet. But um, but I started thinking out loud with him. And, and I said, you know, there's about six or seven man hours into each show. And then I started you know, kind of meeting it out. And it was, it was like 12 man hours in every show before it goes out. And it's overwhelming to think about that. So this, this couple of weeks break is, um, is going to help us And 12 hours. doesn't sound like a lot, especially when it's split up between the two of us or the three of us, depending on if it's crunch bunch episode or whatever, but consider that we do all of this at night after the wife, wives and kids are in bed and, you know, we've only got a couple of hours a night to play with. 
So basically we're doing this every night. And if we're being completely honest, we are now in our second summer of doing the podcast and our numbers aren't as great during the summer because there's a lot of stuff going on. There's people going on vacations and people want to go to the beach and spend time outside, which I'm right there with you. And of course, racing. So a lot of drivers are hard to get right now because they're putting in that time in the shop. I think Al, you've experienced that with the crunch bunch. Yeah. I mean, you know, trying to make everything fit when you have a whole bunch of jobs and, you know, now I'm on the campaign trail trying to (laughs) seek out another job for some reason. So yeah, you, you try to balance out those things and there are times where it feels like it's impossible to find that time to do something that you really enjoy for sure. And not to be left out the crunch bunch pod. I know, you know, you guys have some really cool ideas and potential guests coming up in that down the line here a little bit that we're also Mm -hmm. excited about. Yeah. We want to reach back into history a little bit more. Um, And I think doing some, uh, episodes with Justin where we can do that. And I'm thinking about some round tables and how to do that with some stories that overlap a bunch of different drivers that are just kind of epic, kind of like Bucktona and um, you know, and how would we pull a bunch of people together to do that? So yeah, I got some ideas and i um, excited to kind of roll those out when they, when they, we put more meat on the bone. I don't know. I'm looking forward to the break. I, it was when we had that phone call a few days ago, I think we were both kind of like all the air got sucked out of the balloon and we kind of realized where we were at and it was like, Oh, that's, that's, it was crushing. But then I don't know about you, Tom, but for me, like a couple hours later, I was like, it's actually freaking awesome. Like we, we can do so much in this time off. Like I said, we somehow ended up probably with more work over the next few weeks than we normally do. But we're kind of excited about doing it and maybe the last few weeks, and this has nothing to do with the guests that we have had have not been as excited or, you know, seemed quite as fun. It was starting to get a little tedious, just trying to make that deadline every week as opposed to just doing it to have fun. So a little break to rejuvenate, you know, to get out of that grind, which I said uh, to you guys is, Let's try to let's try to nail this episode because the amount of effort I'm going to put into editing this is probably not very high. <laughs> nice. Well, at least with the crunch brunch ones, I, I pretty much try to one take those. So I hope you don't have too much work on those, and it feels like just an authentic conversation. Um, but yeah, I you know kudos to Tom, and I know Justin, you've said it before, but I'll say it again here for the record that you know the effort you put in to make to make these things sound professional and come out great. Um, the second to none. So I couldn't do it without you. I most appreciate of Tom's, that. Most of Tom's editing is us <laughs> screwing up. <laughs> Our opens and closes. I don't do opens and closes. So much it's work. <laughs> the last no like two months. <laughs> yeah. Al's are a dream for the most yeah. part. Cause it's only two people. You're usually in person, which makes it easier for that yeah. conversation to bounce without, big pauses or anything or technical issues. So mm-hmm. those tend to be a dream. That was what we're plug and at. play. 
throw some music under it. I think I vowed to not do any more non face-to-face ones. Like it's just so different. I think we've done one. I think the pilot. Uh, Oh no, we did two. We had a, we had the Polish cannon was another zoom. So we only, we've only had two of them that were on zoom and, I don't know. There's just something about sitting down with someone and having a face-to-face conversation that yeah. I think that the listeners can feel. And um, I want to do that as much as possible. And my goal is to do that every time, no matter how far I got to travel or what I got to do. I just want to get that part right. I think if Tom and I were roommates or lived in the same town, <laughs> then we'd have a lot more in person. Mm-hmm. Sure. But we're, we're an I hour like, apart and yeah. you know, Al, you're another half hour North of Tom. <laughs> That's right. Depending on That's how nice. you look at it. I don't know if, if that were the situation, our lives may be a little sad. The roommate part. Yeah. I feel I, like I'm you, already picturing hey, dude, it. Dude, you want to drive up to East? Yeah. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to keep it PG. Uh, I know a guy at Spud Speedway in, in Maine. <laughs> yeah. Maine, <man>. Let's go. <laughs> And you would go yeah. like that. So we'd thing. do it. Yeah. If it was 13 years ago, 10 years ago, let's be realistic. When, a, when did I meet Allie? That was like 13 seven. is a very specific number, Tom. What happened 13 years ago? No, I was just trying to think I'm aging it out. That puts me at like 22, almost 23. Okay. Yeah, that works. I'm doing the math 36 next week. So, you know, Ooh, birthday boy. We've all had them lately. Yeah. We're hitting the heavy birthday week. Hmm. Allie is July 1st. My stepson Keegan's July 4th. I'm July 6th. Oh, so as this episode goes out, it's Allie's birthday. Correct. So happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday. She won't hear it, but. <laughs> and I will almost <laughs> bet money on that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she will not hear it, but happy birthday, Allie. Love you yeah. very much. This episode brought oh, to you she by heard Tom it. Technically, <laughs> she oh, walked right in there. in the next room, so I okay, get credit right, for that. Good. Yeah, good. Perfect. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we decided to have some little fun with this episode and put it out there. Hey, anybody got any questions, topics that we can just shoot on for this episode and man we got some good ones we got good response which was exciting yeah the first question was al asking if he could join us for the show uh i felt like i might have been strong arming you guys a little bit but um, no we were going to reach out anyway we just beat us to the punch we decided on this like as we record this it was yesterday afternoon that we decided to do this so yeah like we stopped talking, I made the graphic and put it out at ten thirty at night. So, like it was. No, I thought today planned. about like, oh, maybe we should invite Mamba too. And then I'm like, no, editing. Yeah, I, I just that. I don't want the craziness of the editing. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. Yes, this was this would be a perfect thing for Mamba, but he's got a. They just put something out on NASCAR today. So yeah, I just saw it. Clearly, so, yeah, been busy this week. Super busy. busy. Yeah. yeah, he's got the new podcast. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, were we the entry drug for him to end up with <laughs> friggin' Mark Martin and Jeff Burton as his co-host? What the hell happened there? I don't know. What's though? That's that's a big jump. Yeah, that's like going from like Tylenol PM to like cocaine. 
That's that's the perfect analogy. He nailed it. It actually really is. <laughs> Not that we put you to sleep. But Spectacular. Maybe. Oh man. So wow, Tom's drinking a Mike's hard lemonade right now. Yeah. Al sips his coffee. From Pineapple strawberry. It ain't coffee. <laughs> it ain't coffee. All right. So, so yeah, no, we we uh we got some great responses from people really and um some of them are kind of jokey and some of them are are actually really good questions and ideas like cool ideas and stuff so yeah yeah you want to hit the first one justin yeah what the hell it's james osterhout my good buddy from from fonda speedway and glen ridge and all that mr red chair and i don't even know how to answer this question do you walk to school or carry a lunch is this supposed to be past tense? Like, did you? Yes, I. I or technically, Al could be current. Yeah. Well, yeah, I go to school every day, so I'm 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 torn by this question because I'm not an either or. I'm an and kind of guy because I feel like yeah. You, know, you walk to school or can't carry you do lunch? both? Yeah, I wouldn't you I, carry a lunch. I mean, while you're I rode the bus, but I carried my lunch right. um, when I was younger, sure. And then I drove, which is neither of those things, and then. A, a school lunch. So, is there an inside joke I don't know about? No, I, not that I'm aware <laughs> of. Yeah, I kind of wish there was. That was school bus growing up in the mean streets of Woodbury. Mm, yeah, not an easy walk. I did ride my bike to elementary school one time. Okay, say more. What happened? How there? long of a like? I would imagine that there's not a huge school in Woodbury. Woodbury Elementary. That's where I honed my. Basketball skills in the Cafe Gymatorium. Go Bears. Um, yeah, it was It was a nice little jaunt. I don't remember. It was at least probably a half hour bike yeah, like, ride. I don't, I don't know Woodbury minutes. at all, but I'm assuming that it's 50 square miles. Oh, no, 50 miles on each border. I think so, there's more lakes in Woodbury than any other town in Vermont. Right. True story. So, like, you have to migrate to school. Yeah, right. it's not a straight go. line. Yeah. No stoplights. We're making this huge presumption that that place exists because I've never seen it. So <laughs> I don't, I'm not convinced. I, William H. Macy has or had oh. a home in Woodbury. Again, I I think he's also made up. So I don't, I don't know. I'm not convinced. He is an actor <laughs> yeah, whose wife went yeah, to wife jail in the, Huffman, right? Yeah. She went to prison for. The school for like a day. school bribery. Speaking thing. of school, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Full it all circle. comes full circle. It. Wow. I I mostly was a bus kid, but I lived in Winooski for fifth and sixth grade. Where yes, I did walk to school, and yes, carried my lunch. I didn't do carried lunch till like high school. I was like, oh, hmm. can I keep that money for like gas, and you make me a tuna fish sandwich that I bring to school? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm good with that. Hell yeah. So what I would do is I rode the bus to school, but then my parents owned a convenience store, which was like only a third of the way back towards home. So I could walk. So after school I would walk, but then there was, you, you got to try to remember like the TV shows you would watch. So for me, it was GI Joe and Sanford and son. Oh, damn. Those were the, like, for some reason, as soon as you got home from school, those were the first two things were on whatever station was on at the store. Like, awesome. 
Like that's so, a, that's I don't a know one two punch made. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't I know remember. what you guys came home to latchkey yeah. boys, but well, we were we were pre satellite for quite a while because you couldn't get anything in Woodbury for quite a while. Woodbury doesn't exist. We already yeah, established so like this. So we had probably. our. <laughs> so we got Channel Three, and that was it. So it was rushing home to see Guiding Light and As the World Turns. Wow. And a lot of VHS stories. Movies. A lot of VHS movies. Usually Jean-Claude Van Damme, Arnold Schwarzenegger, some Steven Seagal, maybe some Dolph Lundgren. Heavy 80s action heroes. This you is, say action. Uh, this is this is full-on violence you're talking about. You yes. I mean, the 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 listeners can't see you, but you your sleeves are cut off. And you talking about like Van Damme right now is I'm, I don't know. I'm a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous. We'll Touch probably scared. talk to him more when we get yeah. to our mullet conversation we talked yeah. about earlier. But uh, it's all very on brand for your dad. It, it it is. Yeah, we were even part of that. Like they had like the movie clubs. So I, like once a month, a box would get delivered, and we never got deliveries at this time. This is pre Amazon people, like um, the olden times Netflix. Right. That case, so the box would come with these fresh VHS tapes, mm. and it was almost always action movies. The box weighed eighty pounds. <laughs> there were three it was about tapes it was it. like six seven movies. Yeah, and that was for the month or two. But yeah, I remember being probably the only child in the movie theater for a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean Claude Van Damme movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if we moved to lunch, what was your favorite? Like, what was your go-to? The one you got stuck with forever and you just had the same thing over and over until you finally got sick of it. I mean, peanut butter and jelly, but I never got sick of it. Yeah, I'm still mm. not sick of that. Right. Like, I'm going to make one as soon as we're done here. Mm. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I eat a lot of them, but a lot of my meals persist of whatever is left over on my kids' plates. So peanut butter mm, and jelly yeah, happens. Fair. Yeah, happens often, but yeah, it was the sandwiches. Sometimes you change it up, especially later because we, my grandmother lived with us like my senior year of high school, and she was big on just constantly cooking me food. So we'd get some variety, some bologna. Occasionally, I like a nice cucumber sandwich. Hey, you from England? You got an English background? Not at all. Oh, it was one of those beer. things my grandmother ate. Right. And I was like, oh, I'll try that. I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of nice. Hmm. I heard this before, and I believe it's true, because um, I had hogs at, on the farm. It, the cucumber is the only thing a hog won't eat. And I had a, a coach from the basketball coach I worked with down at University of Tampa. He's from, uh, gosh, I want to say he was at Vanderbilt. Where's that? Kentucky? Anyway. He said, he said, you know, Maynard, the only thing that hog won't eat is a, is a cucumber. And that means I ain't eating no cucumbers if a hog ain't going to eat it. And so I feel like he might be onto something. So you burp it for like the next two days. So it's like your body trying to get rid of it. I don't know. Maybe it's good going down, but I don't know. I'm not a big cucumber guy. We, we plow through cucumbers in this house. Uh, is that a hashtag now? Yep. <laughs> I, you said question. it out loud. <laughs> you said it out loud. I didn't yeah. have teed it up any better. Well done. 
doing a Google search, I cannot find a uh, an absolute answer on that question. And Will a hog look. eat a cucumber? All you yeah. have to do is listen to a guy from Kentucky. I heard so. I'm sure people of Kentucky <laughs> know the answer to everything. You find out where Vanderbilt is? No, I didn't look that up. Oh, okay. I was going to say like Philadelphia, but I'm thinking of Villanova. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. So the next question is from Ethan Tyrell. Nashville, Tennessee. Sure. Bingo. Tennessee. Let's get some dwarf car love in here. Thoughts, gentlemen. Where's the here? In the conversation or at a certain track or drivers in the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Because there's older guys too, right? It's almost like streets where you got like old veterans and you got some new people, right? It's like a nice mix of ages, as I remember the dwarfs. Hmm. I mean, downtown Bobby Brown is still getting it done over at White Mountain. I believe politically it's little cars. Little people cars, yeah. Rico no, Abreu just won at Granville last night, or Grandview last night. I've always said I know very little about a lot of things, but I'm always open to learning something new. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been fascinated by the name Tommy Smithers and all of the suffixes that go with it because I think they're up to the sixth now hmm. over at White Mountain. Um. I drove a Legends car one time for a few laps around Devil's Bowl on the pavement, and it scared the shit out of me. Um, those things are tiny, and you are cramped in there, and they have all of the power to wait. Um, they're fun. They're hard to drive. Hmm, that would be interesting. I remember thinking that when I saw like full-grown adults getting into those you remember at White Mountain they had the little like replica NASCAR carts? Yeah, the mini mini cups. Yeah, yep. they oh, had them yeah. at Thunder Road for a while, and they would fly. The... And if one of those, oh, I'm like, man, that just doesn't seem safe. Yep, because it wasn't. <laughs> yep, your eyes did not deceive you. No. <laughs> so Justin, tell us, yeah. what's the smartest thing you've ever done in a race car? Yeah, and, and was it that... stopping driving a race car? That was yeah, it <laughs> was mm. getting out. It was not having my own race car. I was driving for somebody else, um, Keith Fortier. And that's uh, Gene, little Gene that asked that question. Um, the smartest thing I ever did in a race car for real. Um, I don't know. I Right towards the end of my career, I started to actually know what I was doing a little bit and I avoided a few wrecks. But then, of course, I ended my career with the wreck. So, huh. I, I, yeah, it's a it's a short answer. That's for sure. Avoided a few wrecks. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> what's the wreck to not wreck ratio anyway? You know, <clears throat> so Linda is always like, "You're not going to race." I all I hear from your friends is how much you wrecked, and I'm like, "Go out in that goddamn garage and look at all the trophies I've got." Like, come on. How many of those came <laughs> from handicap <laughs> after wrecking? They did, but whatever. (laughs) I never started worse than third for a win. Put it that way. Hey, wins a win. Like, Al, can you answer this? Because you've driven much more successfully and much more recently than me. The smartest thing I ever did? Yeah. 
I wasn't planning on having to answer this. I thought we were just going to make fun of you for like 10 minutes. We can go back to it. Deciding to get that race car when you went for canoes yeah, or for a trailer for that's canoes. That's right. The, yeah, the smartest thing was sitting in that 48 CRX and saying like, yeah, I think I'll take you home today. Maybe. Because uh, that was the first milk bowl-ish mini milk bowl thing that um, that I made happen. So. And that was an epic day. Holy crap. That was also a very on brand for you to do to something wacky. To do that. Yeah. 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 I told you guys I was going to do it. And you're like, yeah, right. Same thing with the cop car. When I bought the lifted crown Vic, you guys are like, what do you we'll say? What? And then that night I showed you a picture of me driving it. Cause I was like, yeah, it's home. It's, it's here now. We always joke about podcast. <laughs> we always joke about you have such a different relationship with your wife than I have. <laughs> Because every few weeks there's a post on Facebook of like, oh, I told you I love white and it's another car. <laughs> or it's or all these. North and I'm like, man. At the College World Series or what? Well, yeah. yeah. You, yeah, you yeah, name right. it. I am uh, extraordinarily fortunate and I'd be the first one to say so to have a, a supportive spouse. That's for sure. Um, so maybe that is the smartest thing is getting out so that they can spend more time with family. It might be. That might be it. Although I've retired unceremoniously like thrice. So <laughs> it doesn't stick race with race car drivers. It, yeah. it generally doesn't stick. So you're just, maybe you're I, like the punch drunk boxer in his forties. Fair. Yeah. You can't keep me down. Yeah. You keep pulling me back in and not doing I mean, it for the money though. I got my, I got my warrior check for 13th place. Guess. $20. Negative 25. 20. Wow. You owe us $20. You owe them money. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I definitely, I definitely cost 40 to get in the back gate. So You're right. I was definitely negative on that deal, but yeah, 25 American dollars cash that check. I was like, I'm not going to put that in any accounts. I want that in cold, hard dead presidents right in my hand right now. Just you frame it. Put it over your, it. on your wall. <laughs> That's right. I got, I got a sandwich and a gallon of gasoline. It was yeah. great. Ooh, Justin. Do you remember yeah. what was your first ever racing check you got? Seventeen dollars. Yep. Um, we. It was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I was still sixteen. May seventh, two thousand. We went out to Thunder Road for the first time with a race car, and um, I wrecked with Nick Pialot in turn two on my first competitive lap, and. Um, Never made it to the backstretch. Well, I made it to the backstretch backwards, ripped the nose off the car, um, finished so low that they didn't even put me in the concy. They put me directly in the B starting dead last. And I drove from 27th in the B feature. And I'm going to pull a Don Cherry here. You kids, you listen to this. Started 27th in the B feature. They took six to qualify. I finished fifth. We were getting 55 cars every race back then at the street stocks. 30 started for a 15 lap feature. You want to talk about pressure every week. And what um, was the winning check? It was, oh, I don't know if they paid $100 to win. but So doing I, the math, like 50 yeah. cars, everybody's oh, yeah. paying at least 40 to get in the gate, plus crew. They're making you a know, nice little, little turn off. Street stocks I, at that point. I'm going to say, yeah, he definitely, Tom Curley made a lot of money on the street stocks back then and the Tigers too. And really, he never paid well at all um, in any division. But 
you know, 55 street stocks every night. And I think pit passes honestly were 18 bucks for a member and maybe 25 for non-member. So, you know, I lost a dollar. <laughs> I lost a dollar on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. We started 26th in the feature and finished 16th. I bought, battled with Tommy Thunder the whole race, followed him up through. And it was great. I passed more cars that day than anybody else in the division. And I never had a day that good again. Could have been a good walk off, but no, no, yeah, keep pulling me car back in yeah. that day. Yeah. <laughs> I said that after my first game coaching basketball, we won. I'm like, man, might be nice just to get out <laughs> and undefeated. This is it. One and zero, Hazen JV girls basketball coach. I've never lost a dirt race. Five starts on dirt, five wins. I'm telling you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep. Well, there you go. I don't need to explain the circumstances of those wins, but I got the trophy. I think I know, but let's let the yeah. listeners believe how great you are. Yeah. Actually, most of them now too. Legendary. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hmm. What's the next one on here? We're hitting the Sid Sweet section. Yeah. yeah. All right. And this is good. Um, it's, it's really good. And I think I mentioned it recently in one of the episodes. I don't even know, but um, we should talk about, according to Sid Sweet, and he's right, the impact that Jeff Blow and the Vermont Shifter Cards program have had on developing future racers. And he lists off Brad Matson, Boomer Morris, the Perry brothers, Chandler Potter, and Emily Packard. No disrespect to any of them, but those are like the least accomplished drivers that have come out of there. And they're, they're all good drivers. I'm not knocking any of them, but like those aren't anywhere close to the stars. Um, yeah, that, that program and, and Rocky Ridge Raceway and Barry, it's just, uh, it's invaluable, really. That'd be kind of cool to see with the new karting program uh, at Thunder Road, kind of who comes up through, because it's like almost all race driver, like race car drivers, kids coming up through for the most part and it's it's pretty cool so to have like multiple places where they can kind of do that and come up through is is pretty cool but that is it's kind of a good angle to start thinking about you know how people are getting into this um and carding you know carding is is popular so um yeah it might even be neat to interview some little kids maybe we could, <laughs> like maybe we could do that that could be fun we could we do like a, back. are you smarter than a kid's Carter? <laughs> That's right. What was it? Fifth grader was the name of the show. Or yeah. Jeff yeah. Foxworthy. Yeah. Are so, you smarter than a fifth grader? Come on, Wiener. I don't, I don't know if Jeff is. Jeff Foxworthy is. Al, um, as the parent of a cart racer recently, your daughter Dahlia um, won a milk bowl, by the way. She got the first milk bowl win of the family. Fair. Let's put that out there. Um. Again, I don't want to knock anything, but is that is that cart program worth anything? As far as developing a driver, that track is so tiny, and all they do is beat the hell out of them. Well, you think? Well, so driver development is like step three of 
developing a race car driver. First of all, they got to get to the track and see like, this is kind of cool. Then they got to try it for themselves and have some success. That's step two. So the development of someone as a driver is at least tertiary, maybe even further down the road. Like you got to get them hooked. Like I love racing. You got to get them hooked. I like driving race cars. Then you can start talking about, you know, whether they're going to, you know, excel at it or even just enjoy it and keep doing it. Um, you know, Tom, you know the same thing. Like Hayes and Union, like you, you start them when you pull out the pacifier, you slam a basketball in their hands and off they go. And it's just part of what you do. And you just, you know, it's just kind of ingrained in what you do. And so that development of like a varsity basketball program starts young. Um, and as a youth basketball coach, and I'm sure Tom can agree, like your job is for them to have fun, not to be successful per se. Like they got to have fun so that they persist in it. And yeah. if they persist in it, then that's when you get this kind of opportunity to develop. Um, and, and then when they have opportunity to develop, then if they put the time and effort in, then they can make something of themselves in whatever it is, whether it's basketball or racing. So that's kind of how I look at that. Um, and I, I don't know, like there's something when you, when you see the smile on that kid's face, cause they got a trophy and they're hooked. And Chris understands this. I remember when Dahlia was racing, like, when you say, what do they get out of it in, in driver development? You know, honestly, driver development, not much. But if you're talking about developing future drivers, I think those are two different things, like just getting them hooked. Um, because, you know, he would look at the um, before Boomer's kid took over um, Hayden, right? I think he was he was scoring back when Dahlia was about to get out. You know, but when Chris started, he's like, OK, who hasn't had a trophy yet this year? All right. They're starting on the pole like you know, it's not super competitive. It's not crazy. The parents don't get too crazy. At least you hope they don't. Um, and it's, and it's there for kids to have a really good time. And when they do that, then that's when they have, um, they, they got the bug, man, just like all of us did at some point. And you just, now you're hooked. This is something you do. And so that's kind of how I see that program. And if you want to branch out or do something bigger or faster, there's certainly opportunities to do that too. But I think it's a really good first, maybe even first and second step uh, for younger kids in particular. Yeah, I remember when I was at Speedway 51 and Groveton has a great karting program and a lot of enthusiastic parents and there's kids there every single week. And at the time, Joey made you know this big track in the pits and he had completely repaved the pits. So it was pretty exciting and... I know uh, one of our listeners there, Dylan Palmer, does a bunch of cart stuff with his kids, and he's got like six or seven carts there every week, whatever it is. So I know they get quite a few, and I saw quite a few of those kids ended up in Daredevils mm-hmm. after that. Like Al said, it's getting people interested, and in, whether it be like basketball, we would do we'd do the kids' camps during the summer, mm-hmm. and the varsity guys would go help out at the camps, mm-hmm. and then you'd have campers of the week and they got to pick a basketball game where they got to come sit on the bench and you know, it's making them feel important. Like they want to be part of the program and it's same with racing or anything else. And kind of specifically to Sid, man, Jeff blow has been a part of racing for a long time, oh, you know, yeah. with jet service envelope, which was a big right. sponsor for Pat for a long time. And a lot of people for a long time, and I remember, so it would have been early 2000s, 2001, maybe 2002, you know, a parade in Barrytown, and Pat was in it, and 
Jeff had all his shifter carts going through and giving away stuff to kids. I mean, guys put in a lot of effort to racing over the years. Yeah, I think um, Jet Service had a whole sponsorship of, I think it was autograph night, right? Because they did like the hero cards to them too. So they, they've sponsored whole race nights at the track too. So yeah. lots of, uh, lots of investment in the future. Al, I chuckled when you said, you know, when they, when the kids are born, you take the pacifier out of their mouth and put a basketball in their hand. There are literally pictures of Tom's kids days old on the basketball court. That's well, that was at Colchester though. Yeah. But yeah. And it's kind of sad. Cause I took a break from coaching after we had Rowan because it really wasn't fair for me to work all day and then go coach and Allie have three, two and unders. So I took that break and now I'm like, oh man, it kind of stinks not having them in the gym all the time. Like they would go and they'd love it and they'd play with the basketballs and they weren't freaked out by all the noise. So there's a, little haircut place. Um, it's a girl has a salon in her house right around the corner from where we live here in Bridport. And in the garage, there's a race car. And Evelyn, my daughter is almost five. And I brought her to get her haircut over there for the first time um, a week ago. And they had the race car out and she went bananas. She's really, for whatever reason this year, been really into wanting to go to the races and seeing the race cars up close and taking an interest in it. And, um, it was kind of pissed off at me for not working at devil's bowl anymore. <laughs> um, Ironically. Right. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, I was like, I quit for you kid. <laughs> um, but like, it gives me a little bit of a hope that there's, and I've never wanted to push it on her, but, if that's the direction she wants to go, then hell yeah, I'm going to try and make it happen. And that's the hook. That's the hook you're talking about. We're on step one uh-huh. right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Another one out of here, Justin. Why do you think the Oxford 250 is still generating so much more excitement and cars while the Milk Bowl has been kind of going down in car count over recent years? Uh, because there's three reasons, the tradition, the rules and the money. And I think it's that order. Um, the milk bowl is older by about a decade or maybe a dozen years, but the milk bowl has been billed as the toughest race in North America because of the format, but it's really, it's really only the toughest race in Vermont because nobody knows about it outside of Vermont. And it sounds like I'm disparaging the milk bowl or thunder road. And I'm, and I'm not because it's my favorite race in the world, but it is very, very hyper local. Thunder road has only ever had rules that cater to local cars and ACT with their rules package is very small. Like the days of, 12 tracks being under the rules program are, are long over um, and all being on the same tire and the same shock and the same motor and the blah, blah, blah. Like that, that was cool for a while, but it doesn't happen anymore. Whereas Oxford Plain Speedway runs a 
they call them super late models, but they're more of a pro late model. But those rules are available for weekly racers throughout the country with minimal changes. Um, you know, a different shock or a different carburetor, and that's about it. And I mean, the race pays twenty five thousand to win plus lap money. You can win up to fifty thousand dollars if you lead every lap. It doesn't happen, but um, Oxford has seating for thirteen thousand fans. Um, it's just a bigger deal. It just is. It's just a bigger deal. And I do love the Milk Bowl, but Oxford is and always has been and probably always will be a, a much bigger deal and makes a much bigger splash on the national radar. Then to turn it, if you had to do something to tweak the Milk Bowl to try to gain some more excitement, what would you change? I would change the pass rules. That's what I would do. Um, I wouldn't change the race format at all. I would make the race more available to other. I mean, think about it this way. When Bubba Pollard came to the Oxford 250 and won the Oxford 250, he brought his own car. You know, he drove up from Georgia and brought his own car with him. When he ran the milk bowl, he, he had to rent a ride from Joey Pohl's team. Didn't know anything about the car tried his own setup, threw himself way out to lunch. And it was, it was a terrible experience for him. Well, I'm not sure that it was a terrible experience for him, but he finished 16th or whatever it was. He went laps down um, because he was put in a box, the same box that everybody else is. Um, and if there are only 32 or 35 cars attempting to qualify, because that's all that there are around, then the milk bowl doesn't it just doesn't do it anymore it's just a local race now i don't know i again i'm not knocking the milk bowl it is my favorite event um at any race uh, racetrack um but it's just not open to the public tell me i'm wrong and i'll believe you but no i'd say that's probably pretty spot on um, Sid Sweet again, he gave us some stuff. Uh, the Donahue family, a round table with all four of them would be a cool future show. We talked about that. Um, I think Steven would do it over Zoom, everybody else we'd have to get in person. John very much told us that <laughs> he he laid out the scenario for us completely. Yep, yep, which is on the to do list. Um, and I can think of five Donahues I'd like to talk to because you got Steven, the kid, you've got john and don mom and dad you've got brother bill and you've got paul the grandfather all winners all of them and then sid's fourth and final thing would love to hear from shane sweet or jeff lecare their perspective over the years as top crew chiefs or how they adapted all the changes throughout the years tom we talked to jeff when we were at the racetrack so that would have been beginning of the season. And he was open to the idea. I don't know how comfortable he was with the idea of doing it over Zoom. That's probably got to be one we do in person. But we have reached out to him. And hopefully that is something we can do at some point. And, you know, to skip ahead, uh, you know, Brad Bushy, Joey LaCare on our list also. 
and Joey actually seems pretty excited to do it. It's just, you know, sitting down with him for an hour and a half, two hours. He's, you know, one of the few people who I think is like semi-retired, but is still somehow busier than Al. Yeah. Find an hour and a half in Joey LeCare's schedule. And we'll fill it. Exactly. I can tell you, like Shane Sweet in particular, I I always go and hang out in their pits, and I like Shane a lot. Um, and we talk a lot about different stuff. He always talks about every episode of Uncommon Deeds and Crunch Bunch, and he's he's listened to them all, and he's and he's so geeked out about it that I think he'd be a great guest. But when I asked him, like, "Hey, would you want to be on the show?" I, don't, I didn't seem very excited about doing it, but. Man, he's got so many awesome stories and such a great storyteller and has seen so many things. Um, maybe we can keep leveraging him into doing something like that. On uh, opening day, Tom and I ended up at that trailer for like an hour. I don't think it was planned. We just we were walking through the pits and that's, that's where we stopped. Yeah. And, and after that conversation, we also knew that I don't think we can talk to Eric Chase unless it's <laughs> Uncommon Deeds After Dark. Yeah, that's that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Um, I've I've been fortunate to know the sweets for a long time, and oh my God, almost twenty years now that I think about it. And uh, Shane has always been the greatest storyteller. Um, I think he he'd be a slam dunk on this show, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so would Jeff Lecare. Um who has probably won more races than anybody at Thunder Road. Right? I believe so. It has to be. Uh, Tracy Belrose, Jamie Fisher, Chris Mashad, Joey, Joey Jr. Good God. And there's more that, of course, that I'm forgetting. John Donahue was with John Donahue for a while, I think. Impressive resume for the others on uh, Brad Bushy's list. Wayne Hellowell and his brothers, Patrick LaPearl, Craig Bushy, Reno Gervais. Like we said, Joey, I think almost all of those we've reached out to at one point or or another. And one of them might've been done with racing at the time. (laughs) Who's since come back and some are just, not super interested in doing it right now or just super hard to get a hold of. Yeah. And there are several uh, who have just outright said, no, they don't want to do it um, beyond that list that they're just, they're not comfortable or they don't want to be in the limelight or whatever the reason is. And that's fine. So, you know, there are people that we get requests for the same all the time, the same people all the time, almost weekly people ask for X, Y, Z to be on the show. And there's a lot of them that are just, it's never going to happen. Oh, well, it's natural for a lot of folks to just not want to toot their own horn and think that that's, you know, what the show would be about. Um, but I'm hopeful that some of those folks that maybe were knows will actually listen to some of those episodes and just see like, this is about, like getting to know folks better and, and telling stories so we can capture them and keep them forever. Um, yeah. Cause I think that, you know, hopefully 
is a thing that will help turn a corner for some folks because that's that's been my experience is like okay we've captured this now we got it um and it won't you know go away as much as we you know like <laughs> we we've all begged ken squire to write a book you know like oh, wow you should wish you would have wrote a book you just have so many stories and um you know how do we how do we capture as much of this as we can uh, before it's gone yeah that's yeah that's exactly the point you know we're, it's it's still funny to me when people congratulate our guests for being on the show like this is a career highlight <laughs> come on well, yeah <laughs> right <laughs> like, yeah. i am a fat ass sweating over here and tom is looking fresh in his you know tank top and we are not an accomplishment <laughs> we're just trying to document something and tom is know? not skinny either just and I also sweating that. Yeah. Which really defeats the purpose of that shower I took before we started recording. Uh, all right. Uh, moving along here. Justin, take us behind the curtain a little bit for Richard Bradley and yeah. let us know what goes into finding an event sponsor. So I, when I first read this question, I thought that Richard Bradley was talking about us getting sponsors for the show, but I rereading it, he's asking about events at a racetrack. Like how do, how do you sell a night at a racetrack? Um, And it's been my experience that it's not easy. Um, And it may be because I'm a terrible salesman and I hate asking for money. Um, But when I was at devil's bowl, I don't want to give the number away, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money. Um, and different tracks charge different things. You know, last I knew Bear Ridge was about a third of what Devil's Bowl charges and Devil's Bowl is about half of what Thunder Road charges, maybe a little less. Um, and for whatever reason, companies will justify spending those dollars. Um, a lot of it is you got to know somebody to get your foot in the door and you hope that um, they went to the races 15 years ago and, you know, uncle Jimmy had a good time. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll drag him back out there. And, um, you know, CJ, CJ Richards, I only ever met a couple of times and he's about to get inducted into the hall of fame, which is pretty cool. Um, but one thing that he told me was I've sold more sponsorships over a round of golf and a glass of scotch than I have in a boardroom. And that's exactly the type of attitude that I kind of tried to take was, you know, I'm Rutland, Vermont doesn't have a lot of boardrooms, right? It's got, it's got a lot of hardworking blue collar, you know, jeans stained with grease and oil and people who are trying to advertise their business. If they're even trying to advertise their business, they're going to do it for something that they're going to enjoy and just have fun with, because let's be honest, you're probably not like G stone motors, for example, I think they're they're doing two nights of doubles bowl this year, which I didn't have anything to do with, but I don't know that Todd stone will sell enough inventory to, as my dog throws something to justify the cost of what he's spending for advertising at the racetrack. I think they just, people just do it because they enjoy it. And when that is, this goes back to what Al and, and Tom are talking about, about getting kids hooked. 
you you have to hook them with a flashy picture. If it's a new sponsor, like one of my proudest things was I got the Community College of Vermont to sponsor. They started with a billboard. We grew it into an event that you know has grown every year. And it started with a presentation with flashy pictures and pictures of kids waving in the grandstands or mom and dad waving in the grandstands. And, you know, it's $12 to get in and look at the fun you can have. And this is our demographic with age groups. And, you know, the fact that we had a big social media presence was interesting to CCV and their demographic trying to get uh, kids to think about or even, you know, adults to think about higher education and continuing their education. And, you know, you have to pick out key points for each sponsor that will um, entice them to want to get involved. I can answer this with a couple of different hats on too. And um, all the time, racers are always asking, how do I get a sponsor? And they always misspell the word sponsor. They put a C or an E or something in it. And Al's laughing, but you you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest with you, and I hope that there's young racers or potential racers listening to this, sponsors don't give a shit if you win a race. They don't give a shit if you finish 21st. They don't care at all. They don't want to win races. They want to be represented well. What that means is, put their name on your car that you can read from the grandstands from a hundred yards away. Don't be a clown, whether in person or on social media, cut your hair, shave your face, put on clean clothes, speak well. Uh, If you've got the budget, then do some pictures, bring your race car to their place of business, maybe two or three times a year and drag out a, a gas grill and some hot dogs and burgers and balloons and try to get people in their door. That's the only thing that matters to them. They're, they're spending their money to have some sort of a potential return on that investment. And if you can bring traffic inside their building, then you are, you'll have that sponsor for life. I, I believe that. Do you have anything you can add? Because, you know, you, I feel like you've done it pretty well and you had you have also the added experience of doing the race to read program, which is always seeking funding, correct? And you have to be representing well. You also, I mean, listen, you got big sponsorship from Bernie Sanders when you were racing in a street stock. Do you think Bernie Sanders won a seat in Congress because of your street stock? Of course. <laughs> Um, that's obvious because Rich Tarrant was on every late model <laughs> and yeah, you're right. Right. He was literally on almost every late model. Um, but our, our catch line on it was, um, experience that money just can't buy. And so that's kind of the hook too. So when you work with sponsors like that to try to help, you know, not just get their brand out there or get people through the door, but to just, um, sometimes it's to, um, kind of needle their competitors. <laughs> and so that was an angle I always took too. You know, if I'm talking to one person that does vinyl, I say, well, there, there's seven people that do vinyl and all of them are on all these other cars. You're the only one that's not represented here. 
something like that. Like you, you can always, you know, pit their competitors against each other. And certainly um, in uh, elections, that's easy because it's super competitive. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say that Bernie Sanders for us Senate um, is exactly why he, he won is because he was on our street stock cars. No doubt about it. But the cool part is that was when I had an open trailer and we've talked about how open trailers are yes. the rolling billboard. Right. And so I still had an open trailer then. I think that was another one of those pieces. that's just like people point and they say, wow, that's really cool. Um, I would always make it a point to pull into the, whatever the biggest gas station there was with as many pumps as possible to get fuel because more people would see it. And so there's a ton of little things um, that you can do. And I will say this too, this was kind of a weird thing that I don't think many people know about, but um, that was a time where they were trying to do the ethanol triple crown, right? Yeah. I think it was Joe Small had done it the year before and had tested the ethanol gas. That's right. um, And all that kind of stuff. Well, Bernie was huge into ethanol. Um, And so that was a really big hook for them. The weird part is that year that didn't go off. Like they didn't have the ethanol triple crown, like they said they were going to. So I actually used it as an angle um, with a sponsor and it, and it actually didn't pan out. Still, Still don't care because it's just like you said, it's like what they care about is that you're representing their brand in a, in a positive way. And oftentimes it's just that quick meeting. Like I got to speak to him for two minutes and I think I spoke to, um, his campaign manager for like one minute before that. It's like, okay, Bernie's going to walk in. He's going to ask you a bunch of questions. You have to be ready to answer them. Like, okay, let's go. You know, and so you have to be kind of good on the spot sometimes too. And as you alluded to, you know, it's not not everybody's able to do that, whether it's written or spoken. Um, so it's certainly a leg up if you, and you can, these are skills you can practice. And so again, if anyone's listening, you you can get better at this kind of stuff and it's not that hard. Maybe that's our new angle. Um, another side hustle that we could have is helping you get those sponsors, right? Uh, uncommon oh, yeah. media. Look at the smile media. on Tom's face. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is uh, making a connection with that person that uh, I think that a lot of it is just one-to-one connections with an owner or a candidate or whatever the case may be. And if you can make, you, know, you develop that relationship with someone, even if you only have, you know, 180 seconds to do it, you got to have your elevator speech ready and you got to hit a home run. And so you always have to be prepared for that. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a couple other angles you can take um, with regard to that, but yeah, they were a full sponsor for that year and, um, and obviously defeated Rich Tarrant in that election. Uh, so again, we'll take full credit in a street stock. The one thing that every race car driver fears is fire, but you can take the right steps to protect yourself. And the first step is to call VT fire. VT fire is a professional fire suppression system installation company that can get you one step ahead of disaster with state of the art fire safety and suppression systems. But it doesn't stop with just race cars. VT Fire can handle sales and installation of all types of suppression systems for paint booths, gas station canopies, commercial and residential kitchens, and more. Servicing all of Vermont and New Hampshire and expanding into New York. Protect yourself on and off the track with a fire suppression system from VT Fire. Call Hunter Garduno at 802-793-7919 or find VT Fire on Facebook. 
New England weather is unpredictable, and when the power goes out, you'll need a backup plan. That's why you should call Bushy's Generator Sales and Service in Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. Bushy's is your source for home standby generators, and they are the number one Briggs & Stratton dealer in the state of Vermont. From sales and installation to service and maintenance on all makes and models of generators from 10 kilowatts to 200. And if you order a home standby generator from Bushy's between now and the Milk Bowl in October, mention that you heard this ad on Uncommon Deeds and receive a $500 discount. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service covers all of Vermont and New Hampshire, as well as Massachusetts, Connecticut, and New York. Give them a call at 802-591-1903 or visit their Facebook page or bushysgenerator.com. Bushy's Generator Sales and Service of Springfield and Brookfield, Vermont. We keep your power on. Barry Tile and Morrison Clark Incorporated have got you covered, literally. They're your number one stop in central Vermont for all types of flooring, whether it's tile, carpet, hardwood, or any other type of flooring, indoor or outdoor, for your home or your business. Barry Tile staff are qualified installers who can offer you real-world flooring experience and knowledge that you don't always find in the big chain stores. But you don't need our endorsement. They've been family-owned and operated since 1972, which means they're celebrating 50 years in business in 2022, and that stands for itself. And hey, not only are they great at what they do, they're racers too. You got it, man. Check out Barry Tile's Facebook page to see some examples of their incredible work. You can call them the old-fashioned way, 802-476-0912, or just stop into the showroom, 889 South Barry Road in Barry, Vermont. And make sure that you tell them that the guys at Uncommon Deeds sent you. Thanks to all our sponsors who help us bring this show to you for free every single week. Now, back to our show. So, Al... I'm curious now after having some success in your Honda and a very brief affair with a Cavalier, what are your current thoughts on front wheel drive versus rear wheel drive? Uh, that's, that's a really good question because the Honda in particular, like that warrior car really handles great. Um, and you can kind of, you can kind of point it wherever you want and, and the car is relatively easy to drive with more competition, with better grip, with wider tires um, and everyone out on the edge and a whole bunch of drivers. Like that's a different breed. Like in that Cavalier, like I, I would say I have a, a slight newfound respect for front wheel drive uh, race cars, but just a, a slight one, I guess we'll call it because um, it's not harder than I thought it would be, but it was, it was different enough that you really had to pay attention on the learning curve. Like the biggest thing I told Jamie when he showed up when I was subbing for him a couple of weeks ago in the 43 was as soon as that left rear picks up off the ground, that changes everything. <laughs> like everything you know about racing changes in the snap of your fingers because in the second practice, I spun out a front wheel drive race car, <laughs> which is very hard to do. Um, most people would say you ran out of talent and that's exactly how that happens. But it was because I finally got to a point where I was hustling it enough that the left rear came off the ground and it changes the physics of a race car instantly. So um, I do have a newfound respect for the edge that you have to drive those cars on um, for sure. And certainly the Honda is a heck of a lot easier uh, to drive. And some of it is because the competition is not the same or is not as many cars running around you. Um, 
but yeah, those Cavaliers are are tough to drive. So I can appreciate that. I'm I'm going to still choose rear wheel drive if if I had my feet to the fire for sure, though. Uh, are you going to race that thing again? Which thing? The CRX. Oh, man, I want to. Um, it I was mean, a lot they kind of, of told you not to, right? No, they said, get the hell out of here. No, come back. This is yeah. what they said last race. I mean, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but not really. <laughs> they, said, they wanted to categorize it as a sports car. And it's like, this thing is older than people who were born that year. And they're now driving <laughs> like this thing is old. It doesn't have any horsepower and it's all rotted out. Like, are you serious? Um, so I mean, we're fast and, and honestly, like I have a lot of other racing experience. I probably shouldn't be in that division, but I think it was good to promote. I, I mean, we, I don't know if it's true, but what I could tell and what people were telling me is that it was kind of a fan favorite situation, like the milk bowl, but also even when I was there um, this year, like people thought it was cool. They liked the uncommon deeds car. Um, they liked the orange 48. There's just something about that car. That's really cool. Um and people are just kind of drawn to it. So, and I probably have some residual fans from back in the day, but I mean, honestly, like, I think there's just good racing in that division. They, they're just going to bang on each other and that's what it's there for. Um, and I'm happy. I would be happy to continue to do that, but um, I think they felt like that car was a little too fast. So they, they didn't, they didn't want and I didn't really stink up the show. I mean, I, I kept, I kept up on, the Tom Curley mantra of not stinking up any shows. I don't think, I mean, won the milk bowl by one point and I asked them to start me in the rear for all the races this year. Like just put me in the rear. I don't care. I just want to turn laps and have fun um, and help promote your product and deliver books to race, to read and do all those things. And so um, maybe we'll figure out a different way to, to go around the high banks, but uh, it might not be in the 48 unless Unless we can get that thing in the enduro, I don't know how it fits in the enduro rules, but um, so I know that it's legal at Devil's Bowl, and mm-hmm. I know that you need to try racing on a dirt track. Okay, yeah. Um, Done. It came from New Hampshire, so you you know it's going to be legal over at like Claremont and Monadnock and wherever the hell. So let's do a little tour. Okay. All right. Sold. Done. We just got to get Donnie Yates on as like a crew chief or something like that. So. <laughs> yes <laughs> or have them on speed dial at least sure yeah um so uh i love this next one um claff alan claffy who by the way kids was one of my sponsors did my website for free because we put his name on the car and we represented him well back when i was racing we did it i was the only guy at thunder road with a website and again, like Al, it was a street stock. And Do only semi-nude photos on the website. That's right. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what? Is... Uh, yeah. OnlyFans before OnlyFans was OnlyFans. By the way, Tom was texting us from the shower earlier tonight. Let's just not gloss over that. Yeah, trying to set this up. That was a little bit nerve-wracking. I don't have a great attention span and I kind of need stuff going on around me to kind of focus in. So, and I don't get a lot of time that isn't, you know, kid shows and stuff like that. So occasionally I'll go into the shower and I'll bring my phone and I'll put 
put on a show or a video or something to have on in the background while I get sudsy. How long, how long are you in the shower? Are you Kramer? Yeah. yeah. Depends. I mean, I'm not going to you know? say anything, but it's not like you're washing your hair very long. <laughs> this takes time for one. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm shaving. You have a beard. You're not shaving. You're, what are you doing? I don't, gotta, anyway, I don't want to know. You got to trim. You got to trim. Try to keep it neat. Okay. You know? That's fair. All right. I'm okay. trying not to be complete, you know, Neanderthal savage. Right. You don't want to go full wiener. You never go full wiener. No, you can't go full wiener. Right. Okay. Okay. I had to make sure we're Sorry, on the same subject. Wiener. It's uh, a different kind of shower talk than but no when you have i will say this when you have three tiny children sometimes and it's quiet i will stay in that shower for 20 minutes because it's quiet yeah enjoy some nice hot water i said i can listen to a podcast or some music or watch a show and just kind of relax in the mellow silence the water dripping down. Mm. Actually, it sounds pretty glorious. It does. Mm. Showers and pooping are like my only times of peace and quiet yeah, in the house. That's your vacation. And that's only if I lock the door. <laughs> and even then, you still might get the bang. Then they're on the pounding door. on the door. What are you doing? Dad. What are you doing in there? He looked at me. Yeah, a lot of that. But your kids still poop with the door open? My kids oh, yeah. do, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm just glad it's not just mine, so that's good. Yours are teenagers, Al. <laughs> he's 12. I mean, Peyton's 12. Well, sure he's, on the, he's, he's a tween. I think he, he's a shock value kind of kid, though. Like, oh, He's all about the shock value, so yeah. Safety hmm. third. Anyway, third. Justin, back to the question. <laughs> yeah, I heard it was a good one. Um, Alan Claffey from down in Maryland. Um, says former international motorsports journalist, meaning him, wants to hear some of the best and worst stories of covering races as members of media, missing credentials, over enthusiastic security people, getting locked inside the track when everyone else went home, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. God, I could spend days on this question. Yeah, that's more more you than me. I mean, in my whatever it was, six or seven seasons we did at DEV, uh. Like I said, we were, I was with DEV, which obviously had a fantastic relationship with Thunder Road and the American Canadian tour with Ken, and they shared the same building. So, you know, credentials were always there and ready to go. I mean, the only real scrambling issues we ever had was always at Airborne. Yes, I'm so glad you said it. Always at Airborne because the phone line never worked. And, I remember one in particular. I had to bring. I brought my own mixer, all my own equipment to record it, and we were just recording. And then Amy and I were racing back to the station with a CD. Kids, that's how people listen to things, you know, before iPads and iPods and so on and so forth. And and by the way, racing back to the station means a ferry ride and forty five minutes of driving. Yep. Um, and <laughs> we got ready to go, and literally, like right before we're getting ready to start, my audio recording program crashed. Yep. 
and I ended up having to like pull it off the computer, reinstall things I could not do there because there was no internet or anything for us in the in the press box. So we had to try to reroute my equipment into Amy's computer, and she said we were good to go. And we got through almost the entire race without realizing that it was not taking the audio from the mixer. It was just getting us in the background talking with all the cars. And it was, it was not, it made our Gene Paul Cabana episode sound like the clearest Grammy winning podcast there ever was. Like you couldn't understand, you could only understand us when the cars were on the backstretch. Yeah. And we knew by the end, and it was awful. And at the time, in the press box, which was also like the VIP boxes, there was wine in the coolers. And Amy knew it was awful, and she just started drinking wine (laughs) before we even left. She might have... Went in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. She filled a couple water bottles from the boxes of wine in the fridge before we left. Uh, We got back to the station and we, her and I went on live pretending to do the pre-race show. So you could, it was actually, you could actually hear something and we could get sponsor names in. And then we just played it and it was awful. And that was atrocious. But other than that, my stuff was always pretty easy. I mean, Justin, you and Amy, in terms of our productions, kind of had the most to deal with in terms of victory lane and yeah. trying to get get drivers for that and working with the Thunder Road people, which they're not there to help us get the people we need. Right. So you can you can probably speak on that. But my stuff was all pretty easy. I never had too much trouble. Yeah, I always I always loved to try and piss Tina off in my own way down in Victory Lane. And she knew that it was a game that I was playing, um, which only made it worse. But she was always, you know, she would make me wait until the last possible second. Um, but she would always come through. She'd always give me my 30-second interview or whatever. But um, yeah, Airborne was a friggin' nightmare always. And it didn't matter who was in charge of the track. It was just always a disaster, even the year that, I was in charge. <laughs> it was a disaster. Um, but I had some some fun ones. Um, the first time that I went to Devil's Bowl when I had Vermont Motorsports Magazine, I got escorted out of the grandstands by the local sheriff because I had a little point-and-click camera and I was sitting in the grandstands taking pictures. And... So my my coverage of that event stopped at that second, and it, my story became that, um, which I ended up having a lot of fun with. And I I did some like renderings in Microsoft Paint with my mouse, like drew a cop yelling at me, and um, you know, it rained that night, so I made like a fishing pond or something with race cars, and it. it was just. Yeah, that was that was amazing. I got taken out by a police officer because I was taking pictures of a stock car race through a fence in the grandstands. Um, I'll never forget that. 
Um, I think that same year was the first year that they had the Invitational at Loudoun for ACT. And I did everything in my power to screw that up for myself. Um, uh, Fred Neergaard was the media guy down there at the time. And I was, you know, I didn't deserve a credential. It was a blog. It was just a hobby blog. And, but he gave me a credential for the event, including, you know, a hot pass for the cup garage and everything and treated me as if I was writing for the Boston globe. Um, and I, that morning was driving my piece of shit, Dodge neon through a construction zone and, and, 89 and like Montpelier or Barry or something. And I got pulled over because of whatever reason, I don't even know inspection sticker or some stupid thing. You never have an inspection sticker. Never. And um, the cop basically told me you're not going to Loudon today. So I ended up, he let me get the car off the interstate and did he? No, I might've had to get it towed long and short of it, Mike Ducey came to the rescue, um, which was fun. And we ended up riding over with, uh, God, Bruce Melendi. Remember Bruce Melendi? Like just the weirdest trip of all time showed up two or three hours late. Um, it was my first day with, with a smartphone. I didn't know how Wi-Fi worked. Um, and trying to get on Twitter for the first time and send updates. And that was just, just a total cluster. Um, and it ended up being a phenomenal experience just because I learned what not to do. Um, yeah, I definitely had to climb over the fence several times because the gate is locked because I'm the last guy there. Um, absolutely. That's happened at several tracks in the dark. Um, I've got a bunch of stories. Yeah. I don't know. I've got a lot of good stories too. really fun, you know, met a lot of great people and ended up having a lot of dinners and beers and just fun with, with media folks. And I really never deserved to be there. You know, I was a literally, <laughs> I was a street stock driver, um, just trying to write about the sport, but had a lot of fun. And look at you now. Oh, yeah. Co-host of the fastest growing New England historical racing podcast. Is that true, though? There's nine of them right now. Like, does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't. You say it until it's true. That's right. You speak it to truth. That's how this works. Okay. Yeah. Come on. I'm on. I'm on board. I feel like that's yeah. accurate. Absolutely. And, you know. Going back to what Al talked about earlier, a lot of people don't want to talk about themselves in that manner, and they want to be humble, and they don't like talking about their accomplishments. I'm not that person, and we're better than you, and you know it. <laughs> you all suck. And up for the ass whoopings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, an interesting one. Thomas Blair, name the racers that were wrestlers in high school or college that ran tracks in Vermont. 
I want to go first because I only know one. Yeah. And I raced against him. That's how I knew. Um, I believe he was a state championship as a heavyweight, which is Kyle Streeter. Um, and I raced against his dad in Warriors. And then I raced against him and his dad in Street Sox. And um, so I know that's the case. And I think he helps out coaching still. But I know Kyle Streeter. So, and I'll say this real quick. I think this is a really cool idea to do intros, maybe like the to the lead-ins and stuff is to have a trivia question or something that, that they pose to you. Hmm. So I kind of like this. I kind of like these trivia questions. It's fun. Hmm. Superman wears Kyle Streeter pajamas. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Which is also yeah. another idea as uncommon deeds, crunch bunch, uncommon media is we talked about doing like a live show, doing live shows in the near future. And, at bars or a restaurant on those nights doing a trivia night at mm. the bar, but it's all racing trivia. Yeah. I'm into all the things you just said. Yep. Sign Anytime. Up. Anytime. All the way up. I would love to do live show. That'd be cool. Um, I know Austin Terrio was a wrestler in Maine and of course he raced here. So that counts for the question. And then the only other one that I'm certain of was, um, kid from Moncton named Caden White who is maybe 12 or 13 now maybe 13 or 14 um, raced the mini sprint at Devil's Bowl and was wrestling um, I'm sure that we're missing oh yeah plenty but yeah those are the ones we know of hmm. unless Tom has somebody he's aware of I know uh, yeah I don't know any of those names this trivia is not for me I know I did I did. I broadcasted the wrestling state championships this year for the NFHS network. It was my first time, and it was it was fun. I had a really knowledgeable guy who helps out at CVU, who was a coach at CVU. I think a football coach at CVU. So he made it super easy. But one thing I will say is, I learned, and I'd kind of known already based off pictures on Facebook of like my friends, kids, but for some reason the mullet is back and it was in very large effect at the Vermont state wrestling championships. Yeah. The, the return of the mullet is strong. Um, it's not just like Joe dirt wannabes. Like it seems like every kid is rocking it. Um, and it's my experience is. In Franklin County, it's strong. In fact, I had a kid on my on my basketball team. I think he's a sixth grader, um, and he was rocking such a sweet mullet, but it wasn't good enough for him because he had straight hair. So he got it permed. Oh, so he permed out his mullet. Ooh. And I just remember seeing him at practice, and like actually, it was like a couple of weeks ago. I saw him again because um, we're doing open gyms at Fairfax. And his dad like looked at me, and I started shaking my head. Then he started shaking his head, and he's like, "I know, man." I know kids these days. So yeah, the mullet is uh full on and it, it's kind of been strong for over a year now. So I don't know if the pandemic had something to do with it, but man, mullets are back, baby. It seems mom, fitting. Mom jeans are too. Yeah. It seems fitting too. When you're a wrestler for like the Mount Abe Eagles and you just have a flowing mullet, it just seems like it makes sense. A lot of America. Well, as a resident of Addison County, who's in Bristol today, I can confirm there are plenty of mullets around here. 
Also, completely side note, nothing to do with racing, wrestling, or mullets, but I did mention Mount Abe. Shout out to Connie LaRose, who is an absolute legend, coaching the Mount Abe girls basketball team for yeah, decades. What the hell is that about? Just won the championship and got fired, and a lot of big feelings about it from a lot of people I've talked to, and, you know, the athletic director or whatever had mentioned, like, oh, we lost some numbers, and maybe she's a little too tough. Mount Abe is one of the very few girls programs in the state that fields three basketball teams, varsity, JV, and a second JV team. So don't talk to me about numbers when other schools have enough trouble filling a varsity and a JV team. God forbid that you don't coddle every single child. Just a shame. Cause, and you could tell she was pretty upset about it, but an absolute legend. And I had the privilege of meeting her a few times when I was coaching at Colchester because we played Mount Abe and sucks. That's my rant that had nothing to do with yeah. racing. But Well, I think I have a little segue because we talked about this before when we were talking about karting. And I'm making an assumption that some of the challenges that happened down there were parent related. Is that, I mean, it seems to be I would the guess, yeah. soup That's du jour, kind of the, yeah. you know? So, okay. So given that, we talked about like the approach that um, Thunder Road has really for, um, you know, children's success and sticking with it. And, you know, and then you have other folks that are coming with, you know, gooseneck trailers with an armada of carts. And you wonder, you know, like the parents pushing, like I see it in basketball all the time. I just came back from an AAU tournament in Connecticut. We should do a documentary on that. And the AAU parents, oh my God, it's amazing. And so I wonder, cause that's certainly a change that's happened. Not so long ago that, um, that parents are becoming more of the problem. And so I think there's a segue to, you know, youth getting burned out on, you know, carts and not sticking with it, for example, because of all of that. So, you know, if we're trying to build something and I think we all care about um, the sport of racing and we want it to continue to grow um, that, you know, I think that's probably another angle of this that is, I've certainly seen a part of it all the way through all my racing career where parents can be, uh, really challenging components to um, having kids get deeply rooted into doing this. I also seen where parents are exactly what it makes it a family affair. So it's, it's an, it's an interesting situation. I think there's some parallels there between the sports. Yeah. I, a few years ago, it was when I was still coaching at Hazen. I went, I was coaching the boys, AAU team and I stayed to check out the middle school girls AAU game because I'd have some of them in the next year or so. And I literally had to like separate parents from the coach of their daughter's team. And the poor girl looked just mortified Mm -hmm. on the bench as her parents are up in the bleachers screaming at the coach who's turned around screaming at them. And 
I'm mortified because I'm wearing like the same colors because we're all part of the same AAU program. Hmm. And I'm literally talking to them like I'm talking to my five-year-olds. There are definitely... I, I don't have any parallels to draw from other sports because I'm pretty, you know, unworldly in terms of anything other than racing. There are definitely parents at racetracks with kids who don't give a, a damn if they race. They're only there because dad wants them there. Mm. Um, and that's not a that's tenable really, thing. Yeah. Really hard to watch. And it's not tenable for building a sport, right? So no, or or tenable for for building a strong adult. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, first and foremost, right? Who cares yeah, about yeah. the race car or the basketball exactly. game? It's it's what are you doing to your kid? Yeah, bingo. Uh, listen, uh, Evelyn again. She's only four years old, almost five. She wanted to sign up for soccer because her best friend was doing it and her best friend's parents were the coaches. So it sounded like a great idea. Um, so we signed her up and again, the dog is back at it in the background. Um, we signed her up and it's a four week program and week two, she kind of was like, this is stupid. And we were like, we paid for it. You know, you should, you should do it because we paid for it. And then week three, she literally laid down on the field halfway through the thing. And it's not like they're playing a game. It's not like they're doing sports. They're just learning how to listen, you know, but it didn't have her interest. And we're like, okay, we're not going to come next week. You know, we, we did not want to be the ones pushing her to do something she didn't want to do. And, you know, when she's at that age, you can tell what a kid wants to do and what a kid doesn't want to do. She didn't want to do it. Okay. Soccer's out for now. It's a fine line too, because I know, you know, sometimes they're just nervous. I'm not speaking for you guys at all, but maybe projecting a little bit more about my youngest and, you know, just new situations are harder. Um, You know, groups of people where they don't know a lot of them and that anxiety that comes with it. um, Those are all moving parts too. And (laughs) Peyton, uh, T-ball, he would just sit down on the base. He wouldn't run. He's like, I'm not, I don't want to do this. And soccer, he did the same thing. He sat like on the coach's foot. <laughs> like, so I'm, I'm not doing this. The I don't want to protest. do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he would sit right on the coach's feet. He was standing there. I'm like, this is, this is not great. So yeah. you can't force him into it. At the same time, sometimes when they power through it, they're a little bit better. So Peyton with football is a great experience. Uh, experience with that because he, you know, he didn't want to play football because of all the anxiety piece. But then once he played, you know, it, it was different and he enjoyed it. So, so it's a fine line. And I guess parents know their kids, but they really have to look in the mirror first before they start to push. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't think it was anxiety with Evelyn. I think she just mm-hmm. truly hated it. Well, it's <laughs> just reasonable. Yeah. Soccer just didn't, did not like soccer. She yeah. is your daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to get her a go-kart. Unfortunately, Linda won't hear the show. Hmm. She likes you. She will listen to you. Well, uh, history, history tells us that we might be getting together around the, the uh, independence day. Um, 
we have a long history of getting independent, getting uh, together on Independence Day. So, so we have a history of getting independent. I like that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, independently shaving things in your back hair. Yes. That happen in these things, whatever the case may be. But um, yeah, I'll, I can I can do a little of that. We can pregame what and was leverage it? that. What was it shaved into my back at your house? Captain, Captain America. America's yeah shield. America. That's right. That was amazing. I wasn't that was the even only one there. I saw it. What? I wasn't even there, and I knew that answer. Yeah, yeah. Come on. I had a Facebook memory show up, um, of uh, or something like that. No, whatever it was, it was me in that kid's wetsuit shirt. It's like a three-year-old. Oh, that's right. <laughs> These are the kinds of things that happen at Al's house on the Fourth of July. I will give you twenty American dollars if you can get this shirt on. And it was a little kid shirt. <laughs> and I wish I would have bet him a hundred dollars that he couldn't get it off. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that would have been amazing. He, he couldn't get that shirt off for the life. Of <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, so during this time when we get together as families, perhaps you know, we can leverage this uh, go-kart thing. I usually jump through at least one fire mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And there's always, Tradition always a leg injury in your pool because we always forget that it's only two and a half feet deep. Well, after a couple of oat sodas, yeah, you kind of forget how deep the water is. And, you know, God, God. <laughs> got so much to do in this next two and a half weeks where we're off from the show and Justin's going to blow out a freaking quad trying to jump over fire. He's just going to well, be do in the right place. He's with an athletic trainer. We'll I'll fix him up. Right. What's the problem? Yeah. This is a medical professional. I, if you're going to do it, do it at my place. Right. Get you fixed up right. Yeah. I'm sure I'll quickly be able to repair your completely torn quad. Dude, I tell you, in college, when I was just learning about this stuff, imagine all the things that you'd see co-eds doing in, in college, and they'd come to you and be like, oh, man, I fell down these stairs, or I did this, or whatever, so... Well, yeah, Justin's a little dirty. older than a co-ed at this point. <laughs> well, in physical age, yes. <laughs> I don't think his body bounces yeah. back quite the same. <laughs> right, fair enough. But they make the same uh, miscalculations in their abilities, though, especially when under the influence. I think that's that's where we're going with that. <laughs> I feel I've remained consistent in that, yeah. Exactly. Bad choices will be made. Right. <laughs> On that note... Yeah, you got anything left, Justin? Or what's the last type? one? Yes, uh, AJ Wright. Man, we are all over the map, literally on this one. We've got him from New York, New Hampshire, Vermont. We've got Maryland, Colorado, and New New Jersey. The last three questions. Nice. Um, so AJ, my buddy, who runs TQs and mini sprints and stuff, uh, and this is a great question for all three of us. It's a three-day race weekend of your own design. What are the three events? Drivers, uh, drivers selection and fan selection, i.e. Milk Bowl, Star Classic, Oxford 250, yada, yada. So let's start with Tom on this one. And driver selection and fan selection. Okay, so I think he's asking, give us your ideal dream three event weekend or three race weekend as a driver and as a fan. I saw that and I'm like, kind of just want to do something like completely different. Like 
imagine doing like a giant supercross or motocross event in the middle of like the Thunder Road infield. Something like that. Something different. You know. Yeah. Supercross track would fit in there. I raced the track as tight as that in Florida. You could totally put a supercross track in there because Daytona does it the week after speed weeks and they have the AMA come in and then the grass um, right in front of the front stretch kind of dog leg there. And that's where they have the uh, supercross race. So yeah, that can be done. I like that idea. Yeah. I just kind of want to go outside the box a little bit. And I feel like something like that would probably draw pretty well. Cause it's something that, you don't get to see here. Well, I'll, that reminds me, and since I have eight concussions, I don't remember stuff. If I'm thinking as a fan, you know what would be cool is to do like, I would want to see like Charlotte, Charlotte Roval, and then Charlotte Dirt. Same drivers in like a milk bowl kind of thing where, you know. Oh, they've got the four wide drag strip there too. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't think I want to watch drag racing. But I would watch those other three things and that'd be neat to have, you know, the points would just kind of sugar out because people have more or less dirt experience, more or less road experience. I think that'd be kind of fun. That's what I would want as a fan. I like that. Um, okay. So I would not do anything around here. Kind of like what Tom is saying, go out of the box. I would go to the Midwest and I would take in Kokomo, Indiana with wingless 410 sprint cars just absolutely back them into the corner oh my god um marshalltown iowa to watch the street stocks run four wide with the best announcer and i don't even know the guy's name but he's the guy that says oh doctor that guy um and i don't know maybe irp or something watch watch our man bobby santos out there in a midget um, that sounds pretty awesome to me now as a driver. Cause I think that was a component as well. Right. Uh, I've always thought super dirt week would be pretty cool as a driver. Um, I wish it was still the mile at Syracuse, um, but Oswego is fine. So like you would run qualifying or, or whatever on Thursday morning at Oswego and then go to Brewerton or wherever the hell they're racing Thursday night and then come back to Oswego Friday and do your heat race or whatever it is. And then Friday night you go to Fulton or I don't know where they race. And then Saturday you come back and you race Oswego. If you're a three fifty eight guy run the feature. And then Saturday night after that's over, go to Afton. I don't know where the hell they're racing, but just something like that where you're just, that's all you do is race, 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 you know, six times in three, in three days. That sounds fun. With my experience, I would love to race minivans on a road course. Oh, a field of minivans. You Mm -hmm. are the minivan magnet. Well, maybe that's a 24 hours of lemons thing. You damn right. It is. Hmm. Yeah. You, could, you can soup up a minivan pretty good. Okay. I mean, yeah. I can't, but I've seen people on TV do it. Mm. Well, Eddie just sent us that post, Al, of that minivan that somebody cut the roof off. 
glorious amazing Mm. yeah it reminds me of the old warrior days where you got an extra 50 bucks if you cut your roof off yeah (laughs) you got extra toe money if you if you didn't have a roof because it looked more dangerous and people wanted to watch that freaking tom curly there was a kid that had a warrior that he cut it was like a toyota tercel or something like the Mm -hmm. smallest car and he cut the roof off it and made it even more dangerous Mm. and his safety thing above it because you had to have some sort of netting or something above you he put like orange snow fence (laughs) like you know tied it together with duct tape and it's you know flapping out there and it's hitting him off the top of the helmet and he ended up upside down one night it was incredible of course he did like something out of wacky racers yeah just there's a show for our television podcast oh yeah yeah we gotta get alan that one too wacky racers no, the so we've we've had that idea of you know parents talking about cartoons that their kids are watching currently. Okay, and like what sucks and what's awesome. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like it. So you can be a guest on that. Boom. Done. And you know what? Somebody else asked about Catamount. And I can't find it. And then I was looking on my messages and stuff. And I don't remember who it was, but I do remember somebody asked us to talk about Catamount and if it was still open, what we think it would be like and if it would be successful and if Thunder Road would be as successful mm. as it is. I don't know. That's an interesting one. Obviously, kind of like Ken said in his episode. You know, up this way is, and you see it, I mean, last weekend was ridiculously hot and just all the beaches around here were absolutely full and there were cars on the side of the road near every entrance to get down to a beach. So that, that tends to draw the people in this area. I don't know. I mean, it's sad to say, but so many places now are struggling and they continue to struggle. And we talked about it, was it last week's episode when we were talking about Beach Ridge? And if it can happen there, right. it can happen anywhere. Right. I don't know if the greater central Vermont area could realistically keep two places going. Al, I mean, you like Tom live in that region of Vermont. Do you think it would? Do you think Catamount would work today? I think if it didn't have, well, first of all, Catamount is before my time. I never got to see races there. I've only heard it, heard about it through stories and certainly local stories because I do live here, uh, one town away. Um, if it were on different nights that didn't compete, I think it's, I think it's possible, but. It's just a different breed, especially when you listen to the Uncommon Deeds podcast of these old timers that race six, seven times a week. Like it just, nobody does that anymore. And so twice a week, I think maybe, I think you see with White Mountain, that's kind of happening with the same owners, you know? So it's a, it's kind of a parallel, you know, some people are running both tracks. Um, so I suppose it's possible, especially if you have the same ownership, you don't have competing nights um, and you have this kind of lore about a place that has an amazing history uh, like Catamount, um, one would think that it 
it still would be able to do that. Um, but I, I don't have a ton of experience thinking about it or really knowing much about um, catamount itself. But um, it seems like from it, it seems like if you could if you could say bring back one track and you talk to anybody in Vermont, that's exactly what they would say is bring back catamount. So it, it I would say a strong maybe is probably where I land on that. Um, but you got to admit there's just, it's a different mentality. This not the drivers aren't out there wanting to race four and five nights a week. Is those folks don't exist anymore. Was it Beaver who said to us, Justin, that most drivers today don't want to leave their driveway to race. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's right. I think Catamount would have only been successful had it continued as a special events only track like it was the last five or whatever years that they ran, um, you know, five or six races a year and that's it. Um, could, because honestly, Catamount, except for a very brief period, was not successful as a weekly track. It just never really was successful as a weekly track. And I don't, I don't believe that it would be today either. I also think that if Catamount was still here, airborne would probably not be around or if it if it was it would be it would have been dirt the whole time i also think white mountain would not exist in its current form if catamount was around because white mountain you know 30 years later still sort of takes the place of catamount um they went through different you know periods of san air where they tried to have san air be the thing and then airborne was the thing and now so sort of white mountain is the thing that works with thunder road. Um, I think that racing would look drastically different if catamount was still around. I don't know that it would affect thunder road too much. So I don't think it would affect thunder road negatively. Um, especially if it was special events only, I do think that there would be multiple uses for the catamount property they would have had to to diversify to keep the lights on um, because you can't survive when you're open five days a year. Um, so they'd have to add a road course or carting or a skid pad or drifting or something like that, or maybe a drag strip or, you know, something along those lines, they'd have to expand the property and, and make it be something more than just a track that's open, you know, for the spring green and the fall foliage or the new England 300 or whatever it's called. All right, as we get ready to wrap this up, I just saw that this was happening this week, so I'll ask you guys, do you have any good kids' ride stories from giving kids rides around the track? I, I do. <laughs> so so my kids are small, and I'm in like, I'm pretty well established in street stocks at this point. And um, my wife doesn't particularly love coming to the track. And who loves bringing two screaming idiots, kids, like just nightmarishly for an hour and a half in the car to go there for kiddies rides. You got to go there much earlier to get your kids in line and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Cause they do it at like three 30 in the afternoon. Yeah. It's hella early. And so, which is fine. They got to get the racing together and I get it. Um, so my wife packs these maniacs up, drags them all the way down there. They want to ride with their dad. And so, um, 
Tina, God lover, is like, no, you rate, you get in the car whenever you're in line. So Christy's like, that's fine. She starts letting people in front of her until we line up with the car. And, and uh, you know, Tina wasn't particularly excited about anyone gaming her system. And Christy doesn't, she's the kindest person I know. And that's why I married her because she's the yin to my yang. She's super nice. But she had had enough. And she said, we didn't drive, I'm paraphrasing uh, third hand, but we didn't drive an hour and a half down here. And I didn't drive it down here with these two screaming idiots to tell them they can't ride with their dad. Because the chances are they're going to lose their minds anyway, even if they do. And we're just going to turn around and leave. And I paid X amount of dollars just to get in here to do this. I said, so they are riding with their dad and there's nothing you can do about it. Yes. <laughs> I was like, Christy told me this after the fact. Yes. And I was like, oh, my God, you said what to Tina? And she didn't murder you? I was like, holy cow. Or murder you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, my kids rode with me, unbeknownst to me, that she and Christy had this altercation. And later that night, um, Tina had said, you know, uh, your wife and I had a little had a little disagreement uh, during Kitty's rides. And, you know, she t- told her side of the story, and I get it. Um, but I was just like, oh, my God, Christy did what? That was amazing. And I think... You know, as gruff as Tina is, if you kind of stay or any person that's kind of like, you know, they're just staunch in what they're doing and they they don't want to bend that when you when you stand up as hard and strong as they do, then sometimes they back out a little bit. I think she especially because I think she knew Christy and didn't know Christy to be that way. So it was kind of put her on her heels. And I don't think Tina gets on her heels all that often. So uh, so that was a that was pretty wild. I got to race. I got to ride around with my kids, which is really special. Um, that's one of my favorite feelings that race to read stuff like that, where you're, you know, engaging with kids. Um, that's my favorite. So that was, but I didn't know all of this until later that night. And in fact, Christy had, had like predicted exactly what was going to happen. They did the kiddies rides. They didn't even watch a lap of racing. And she was like, screw this, threw the kids in the car and went home. They never watched any racing at all. That's amazing. I remember the same thing happened when I was a kid where they wouldn't let me wait for Pat to come around. So I ended up, they stuck me in like a street stock. And I remember because the guy had like the automatic pull down shifter <laughs> on the steering wheel. Yes. And I went around and my mom was pissed. And she gave me the old mom spit cleaning of the stamp on my hand that said that I had taken a ride, took my shirt off, put a different <laughs> shirt on me, <laughs> and then w- kind of lined it up and waited and got me in line in right, just the right spot. So I could ride with Pat. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. Yeah. Um, it, the same thing happened to me in 1992. Um, and I don't think it, it was before Tina worked there, but whoever was in charge, I had drawn this amazing picture of Scott Carpenter. He's my favorite driver. Um, and he had his late model, the 36, and he was also driving Danny Beam's tour car, the 77. And I drew him nose to nose. It was just, I spent so much time on it. He was he was the next car in line behind Crash Craddock, and they made me ride with Crash Craddock. So I drove around with tears in my eyes, you know, eight or nine years old, whatever, with this picture of Scott Carpenter that he's in the car behind me, and I can't give it to him. Sucked. Um, and then the next year, my and my dad was racing, and I wanted to ride with him, and they wouldn't let me ride with him. They wouldn't let me wait. And then finally in 94, I got to ride with him and his cousin, Robin, they were teammates. They drove around side by side around the track. And there's a picture of me 
hanging out the window with just the biggest. <laughs> um, so that was pretty cool. As Should have took driver. advantage of that time to get some legal advice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. From Crash Craddock, the barreling barrister. Yeah. Um, Al, you would have loved that guy. Mm. Um, as a driver, I always had a helmet full of candy. We had an extra seat that we put in the car on the right side. And we always went to Staples and made these completely dog shit, terrible quality posters. But they were, nobody else had them. You know, it was like just this big, ugly white sheet of big paper that had, you could like see the creases and folds and tape marks from where the photocopier, you know, where I cut my name out and printed it in red ink and then pasted it on top of this piece of paper and then, you know, glued a picture on and wrote some stats down, whatever. But we, we'd made a ton of those and gave them all away every autograph night or every kids rides night as well. And that was 2001, two, three, wherever, whatever year, like five years ago, I went to New Smyrna down in Florida for speed weeks. Uh, we were down for Daytona and we went to New Smyrna on a Saturday night and maybe you'll hear it. Maybe you won't, but this kid, Ryan Stevens comes up to me and he goes, are you Justin? And I said, yeah you're just in st louis right and i was like looking around like yeah and he's he's got a vermont shirt a shirt that's a vermont on it and i'm like oh what's up and uh he's like you were my favorite driver when i was a kid and i'm like i think i said get the fuck out of here <laughs> <laughs> you know he's an adult at this point he's you know we're in our 30s he didn't and, have to admit to that right, to, right? Yeah. <laughs> and i was like what are you talking about and he's like kids rides you gave me one of your posters and i still have it and i'm like that's amazing you know that's just i sucked but i had a fan you know and i didn't know that i had a fan until i was an adult you know long after 10 plus years after i stopped racing um so kind of that gave me the goosies i i really you know at the time it was you don't think about that stuff um, but really I really cool. enjoyed that, that story and, and meeting Ryan all these all those years later. Well, all right, guys. Thank you for listening to whatever this was. I don't know if, uh, if it's something we'll do again maybe at some point. We liked how much kind of interaction we got in terms of questions and suggestions so thank you everybody who sent us stuff and i think we got to just about everybody that sent us a question or a conversation starter we appreciate that but also oh before i wrap this up definitely thank you barry tile and morrison clark absolutely bushy's generator sales and service vt fire I mean, these guys sponsor the show. They do everything for us. Goss Dodge with the Crunch Bunch podcast. We appreciate it. And they have all been super supportive when we reached out just in the last day or so saying, hey, we're going to take a couple weeks off. And they were all completely fine with it. So extra thank you to our sponsors this week. 
for the next few weeks. Yeah, a hundred percent. And you're right. They were all like, yes, take a break. Like, why didn't you before, <laughs> you know, it was, and we were worried. We we're like, Oh, we have to keep going because these guys, you know, paid for this and um, we have to do right by them, but when we will do right by them. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy the, the friendships that we're building out of because we didn't know any of these guys. Well, we knew Ben, but we didn't know Dave Clark and we didn't know Hunter Garduno. Um, didn't know the Massetti brothers, didn't know, you know, all the people that have sponsored us. So um, we appreciate that a lot. Yeah. I, I like this question format. And I think that when we come back, maybe, you know, in a couple of weeks that maybe we could incorporate that into our shows in some way. Yeah. Whether you ask us the question or we ask you a question. Maybe once a month or once every couple months doing yeah. an episode like this, but we could still bring in drivers to do the, the question episodes. Like oh, we yeah. brought in Al, we could bring in like a Nick sweet and have, Hey guys, send us random questions. Yeah. Do aliens exist? Ooh. If so, do they race? Earth flat. Did we land on the moon? Oh my goodness. I think I know who I think I know who you'd have to bring on for that one. I think Justin knows who I'm thinking about, but there's certain conspiracy theorists around the track. So hot takes. Hot takes coming. Hot takes. That's what we'll call the segment. Hot takes. Done. Boom, nailed it. You know, one other thing that we've talked about, and maybe we'll just put this out there and we'll do it now. And you guys have a few weeks to chew on it. Um, are we are we gonna switch to Tuesdays, Tom? Justin and I have given this a lot of thought, and you know, statistically speaking, you know, Tuesdays are the best days to kind of put out a podcast and you know we fight the weekends, especially kind summertime when people are doing stuff on the weekends and they kind of forget about the episode. So we have strongly Listen, contemplated. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to interrupt you here. I'm so disappointed in our numbers for the Beaver Dragon episode. It's killing me. <laughs> like putting it out there. That that episode should have been one of our highest rated, and it's just not. And it's not um, so, horrible. It's still, you know. No, and we never top wanted half. to obsess. It's yeah, top we never half. wanted to obsess over numbers, but um we never know. got the number we never thought we were going to get the numbers that we got right. on some of this. So now, like you said, we're competitive. Yeah. Now that we do, it's killing me. So go out and listen to the Beaver show, please. Even if you've already listened to it, put it on in the background, you can press <laughs> mute. Just <laughs> bonus listen. <laughs> Uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, I think there's a good chance that we will be back Tuesday, July 19th for our next episode. If not, if we chicken out, then, uh, July, would, would that be 15th Friday, July 15th? Oh, oh, you're going to go that direction. If we were to chicken out, that would be two weeks from this episode, but you sure you don't want to do three weeks? <laughs> how about the how about the twenty second? Uh, I'm I think I think we might roll the dice and try 
try some Tuesdays. Yeah. And I think that's a good date for you to look for us to come back. And that's Tuesday, July 19th. And we are expecting to bring you an absolute heater for our return. Yeah. Al, do you have any uh, irons in the fire for the crunch bunch? Pod? Oh, of course. Of yeah, course. I know. Uh, we have a few commits already that um, I think would be really cool. Obviously not going to give them up here, but, um, but yeah, we got basketball camp. I'm working the St. Mike's basketball camp this week. And then we have Fairfax hoop camp coming up, but there's, there's going to be some times in here that uh, we're going to get some in the can. And uh, I think people are going to really be excited about them. I no, will say I wanna... the biggest question I get for you, Al, is are you actually going to talk to Wiener? Well, this is a great question. Um, I get it a lot, too. Like, you have to interview Wiener. But the people that ask about that have never actually had a conversation with Wiener. And therein lies the rub. I have had lots, probably more than most anybody else at the racetrack because he worked in Fairfax for Kevin uh, Campbell for years. And I was in that shop every day of the summer for eight, 10, 12 hours a day, dude, it would be, it can't even put a sentence together. I mean, I like him and all, but like, this is not, this is not a good idea. Not a great speaker. <laughs> no, this is not, this is not how this works. So, um, I could do it, but it would be the one, Tom, that you'd be like, oh, my God, I have to edit this one. And then you'd you'd realize, right, like this is not this is not the way um, I'm not against it, uh, but I, I worry about the end result and or product of trying to sit down with Wiener and have a conversation. I kind of think it takes away from some of the mysticism. If you interview right. him, then like it's fair. all the questions are answered, right? <laughs> Well, he's still an enigma. I'm sure you'd you'd still be wrapped left scratching your head. Wrapped in a Reese's cup. Wrapped in a wrapped in a Mountain Dew bottle. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I think you'd probably leave still scratching your head. Maybe even more so than where you started. So, um, something to consider. I love it. Oh my god. Um, I don't want to gloss over this, and we haven't really. I don't know if we've mentioned it, but you did kind of briefly mention it at the beginning of the show that you have something completely different going on from racing right now, a new endeavor, Al, um, where you're running for state representative. Yeah. I don't have enough jobs apparently. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it makes sense that late model champion, Phil Scott runs for state Senate 20 years ago, whatever, and then progresses up through the ranks and does mm -hmm. the thing. But you are a street stock driver. Mm -hmm. What clout do you have? Oh, in, in Montpelier. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I wouldn't say much, but I've done a couple radio shows now. Um, and once they, they hear that I've raced at Thunder road, they want to talk, have you raced with Phil Scott? And that's all kind of right. comes up. And so obviously I have not raced against Phil Scott. Although that one night that I, subbed for mj gravel i might have but i don't i don't remember because uh because it was a long time ago and uh didn't turn a lot of laps so um so yeah that does come up often actually but uh yeah it's the the rumors are true that i'm running for uh state representative for franklin one district which includes the towns of fairfax and georgia so yeah it's a thing it's a thing we're campaigning and so if you've seen 
the um, if you've seen our lifted Crown Vic police interceptor running around town, um, it now has decals from 802 print that make it very clear that not only is this just a goofy car, but that we're uh, advertising that we're running for office as well. So, yeah, primaries for everybody across the state are August 9th. I encourage everyone to register and then get out to vote. And then uh, the general elections in November, like always. Is our second podcast guest who has gone into politics this year, Austin Theriot. Oh, yeah, that's right. Trying to get stuff done up in Maine. Yeah. District oh, 1, I think. I think, he, I think he's running for U.S. rep, right? I don't remember off the top of my head. Maybe it's state. I don't think. I, I don't know. Well, anyway. It's on the ballot for District 1. I just saw on a post that he had. Okay. So I'm guessing so that's similar state. to me. Well, that would be kind of a cool episode. Yeah. Uh, you could have a round table of politicians slash race car drivers. I don't <laughs> think I want to do that, actually. <laughs> also a really big concussion guy. Yeah, 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 that's true. Wow, that might be more interesting. Yeah, actually, I did think about that when I listened to that episode. I was like, oh, yes, for sure. And yeah. and Dale Jr.'s kind of path through that and how they intersected and a lot of the things that uh, that I've experienced as well as kind of worked with in sports medicine. So, yeah, yeah that might be another one. Renaissance, man. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. All right. Yeah. We will see you. In about two and a half weeks, earmarked July 19th, a Tuesday, for the next episode of the Uncommon Deeds podcast. But we're going to stay active on the social media pages. So make sure you're following Uncommon Deeds on Twitter and Facebook. Uncommon Deeds podcast on the Instagram. Say it with me, guys. The The Instagram. Instagram. Thank you. If you want to be part of this wacky, wacky Uncommon Media family, whether sponsoring this podcast, the Crunch Bunch podcast, maybe a combination of both, or maybe you have a media idea you think we can help you with, you can send us an email, uncommonmediavt at gmail.com. Gmail. Be on the lookout. We're coming back. We're coming back with a vengeance. But we are taking a much needed break from you people. <laughs> is Lord Thomas about? No. Okay. He is not. <laughs> that was just Tom. That was just Tom. Uh, That's Tom with his phone in the shower, Tom. Mm. Just venting. That's what I do in the shower. I just vent. In a really deep voice. <laughs> you <muttering>. people. <laughs> Shaking his fist. Banging mm. on the door. Daddy, I got to poop. You people. Mm-hmm. A lot of that. Hashtag dad life. Yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, go, this is a great opportunity before we wrap it up to uh, go back Listen to some older podcasts, especially maybe some that you missed, that you didn't give a chance. Uh, Let me tell you something. Taylor Moyer, who is Dale Jr.'s Xfinity Series crew chief. Shirley Muldowney, the greatest drag mm-hmm. racer in history. Great episode. John Zimmer, Vermonter, former driver of freaking Gravedigger. Mm-hmm. Come on. Do it. 
since you know Justin aired it out earlier about you know the Beaver episode not getting the numbers. I'm like, sorry, Tom. I'm currently streaming it on four devices. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I mean, holy crap! Were we disappointed with those episodes Justin just mentioned because they are great conversations, and I get it. It's outside of our norm. We joke about the stupid outside the box thing all the time, and we yeah. I say it now just kind of as an inside joke between Justin and I. But freaking give them a chance. Shirley Maldowney was absolute gold, and she was firing shots at people. She was oh taking God. shots at people. It was awesome. Yeah. You don't mess with her. No. No. Yeah, I feel like that episode's like in my top five. Like, that was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I I have realized that those shows were a year ago or more. And yeah. there's a lot of people that may not even know that those shows exist. So we're going to post like some Tom, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like Tom said, we're going to we're going to be active during our break on social media and kind of put episodes out there for you that, you know, that are from a year or more ago that maybe you, you didn't know was out there and, or you haven't heard it or you haven't listened to it yet. Um, give it a shot because you're going to love it. Like, like Al said, it's top five. I mean, it's freaking Shirley Muldowney, right? She's the only, she's the only guest we've had who's had a movie made about her. Right. Uh, that we're aware of. I was going to make a joke, but you know, I bet know. Brad Layton's got one out there somewhere. <laughs> Or going to let it go. The after dark episode. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Letting it go. Moving on. Moving Thanks on, everybody. <laughs> You've been listening to the uncommon deeds podcast. It's been a production of uncommon media. You're welcome. <laughs>